Christ. We want to greet everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're grateful to everyone that's here today, and uh, we look forward to sharing with you the things that the Lord have uh, laid on our hearts to share. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, fifth chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to start reading... We'll start reading at verse 27. We're just going to go through a few things just real quick to uh, prayerfully help us to um, get a good grasp on the things that go on in, in the lives of people all over the world. And my prayers is that we will uh, really take heed to what the Lord is going to say today. So the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, we're going to start reading. Uh, we'll start reading at verse, um, actually, we'll, let's, uh, we'll start reading verse 26. And actually, let's back up to verse 25 so we can get the whole picture. It says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him that hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. Now this, this man Gamaliel, this is Paul's Mentor. This was the man that had mentored Paul. You'll see that in the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts, where Paul says that this was his mentor. Now, I think it's very interesting that even after Gamaliel made this statement, that Paul goes on continuing persecuting the church, even though Gamaliel is about to give counsel here. Let's go and keep reading now. In verse 35, it says, And he said unto, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves, what you intend to do as touching these men, in other words, concerning these men. For before these days rose up Thodius, Thodas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, 
refrain from these men and let them alone. Everybody see that now? Did Paul refrain? No, Paul kept going, didn't he? Now this was before Saul, well, he was converted. And there is Paul, he, sa- he tells us in the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts when he's standing before the council, I, was, I sat at this man's feet, talking about Gamaliel. I sat as, at his feet. I was a student of his. And there was, <laughs> there was his teacher telling him what not to do. Leave these people alone. Because if it's not of God, it's going to come to nothing. But that wasn't good enough for Saul. That, that lets you know when people are against God, they're demon-driven. It doesn't matter what flesh and blood is saying to them. It doesn't matter what, what spirit is, is of God is speaking to them. When they are driven by the devil, it doesn't matter who their teacher is. It doesn't matter how great of a... The Bible says this man had a great reputation, but not great enough for Paul to, to, to take heed to what was being said. Does everybody see that now? And so it shows us, uh, now Paul respected the man and he, he lets it be known, I was his disciple. I was a follower of his, I sat at his feet. <laughs> but people are funny that way. I'm a disciple, but I ain't gonna do what you say. Now that was his teacher telling him how to behave. Leave these people alone. Let them preach. Let them do whatever. Because if, if, it, if, it, if, if it'll come to nothing, it'll come to naught if it's not of God. And Saul was not satisfied with that. I'm going to bring it to nothing. Does everybody see that now? All right, let's go and keep reading. Verse 38, let's read that again. It says, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. In other words, nothing. Everybody see that now. Verse 39, but if it be of God, now this is, I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily, in other words, lest perhaps ye be found even to fight against God. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Because all I got to do is make sure that this is of God. If I know it's of God, I watch people drop dead to my left and right all the time and I mean that literally brothers and sisters there are people that six feet under today six feet under today for fighting against God and I'm talking about in this concerning this ministry you know we're not going to even get into other ministries but in this ministry people are deceased today today does everybody see that now So here was the wise counsel of a law teacher, a teacher of the Mosaic law is who he was. And he talked about, leave these men alone because if it's of God, you're fighting against God. If the work they're doing is of God, you're fighting against God. But if it's not of God, it'll, it'll, just, it'll dissipate on its own. It'll go away. So, Here's the question then. What does it look like to fight against God? Oftentimes, when, when people hear that term about fighting against God, they often think of Saul or somebody like that who was literally throwing people in prison, who was literally persecuting the name of Jesus Christ and, and doing things like that. 
But I'm going to tell you, fighting against God does not equal you literally balling up your fist and shaking it at him or coming against him in the manner that you may think. All of humanity, all of everything that exists today is based on this thing here. What is it? God, from the beginning of time, he set a straight line from one side of the universe to the other, a straight line and a narrow line. Everything on the inside of that line is his will. Everything on the outside of that line is fighting against him. So you don't have to shake your fist at God. It's people in hell today never heard of the name Jesus Christ. Never had the gospel preached to them, but just went against the God conscious that's on the inside of them. So you don't have to sit in church or have had sat in church your whole life to be fighting against God. All you got to do is not be on the inside of that narrow line or that narrow road that he has created. That road represents his perfect will. And when we fight against it, when we are outside of that, then we are fighting against it. Now here's the thing about God. God has set it up in a way where he is not a present being concerning people fighting against him. Does everybody understand it now? Because he's too sovereign. Listen, when one of his archangels came against him in heaven, he didn't fight the war. He sent another archangel to fight it. That's how big he is. Yeah, there's some little peon that's done raised himself up and tried to exalt himself above the stars that's above my head, except that don't exist. I'm not going to even take time with that foolishness. Michael, you go take care of it. And let me know how it all, how he looked when, he's, when you done tossed him. And Jesus Christ says, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. That's how fast he fell to the earth. That's how, that's how fast the archangel Michael tossed him. Everybody see that now? So you know, so if God isn't fighting against the, the rebellious archangels, then it, you think he's fighting against us? No, he's got things in place for that. Now let's think about it this way. Think about this, this building here, this, this stuff here that's wherever this is made of. You know this is not wood. These walls are not made of wood. Now if they were made of wood, you might stand a chance of running towards it and breaking it and getting to the other side of that. So how many of you, uh, think about how many millions of years would it take for somebody to just keep running and bumping their head into the wall, to these walls, to get out? Now let's think about that now. Again, God's will is a brick wall. So it's not him just literally fighting against people. He's got stuff set in place where if you go against it, it's just, it's going to fight against you. And really, you fighting against yourself. Now the question is, who's going to win, the wall or your head? Does everybody see that now? 
God don't have that kind of time to, to, to fight against everybody that's fighting against him in the world. I just got stuff set up. Does everybody understand that? You think about it like gravity. I just got gravity set up. So if you want to jump off the building, it's, it's okay. That's up to you. Does everybody see that now? And so you come across two different people. Two different people. It's, and with, let's just say even believers. Uh, today I want to talk about so-called believers. You come across two different kinds of those. Those that are happy and have the joy of the Lord. And you know whether or not you have the joy of the Lord. And those that don't. Those that have the joy of the Lord. They find themselves going straight down the middle in God's will, straight down that road. Those that don't have the joy of the Lord, and I don't mean every now and then when you listen to a song that brings you back to a place and makes you happy. Those that's in that middle road, in that straight road there, they're always happy. It's not up and down. And if you find yourself not having the joy of the Lord, then I can tell you, you're on the outside of that straight road. You're on the outside of that narrow road, and you're fighting against God. Did everybody see that now? And today, we're going to look at a story of what it looks like, what it looks like when a man has fought against God. Now, is it possible to win? Do you know the devil understands he's not going to win? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that he, woe unto the inhabitants of the sea and the earth, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why is he upset? Because he knows he has a short time. Isn't that something now? So even he knows there's no way I'm going to win. I'm, my job is just to take as many people to hell as, with me as, as, as I can. But I know I'm going. No, I'm not concerned about getting saved. I know that's out the picture. I, that's out. My job is just to take as many people to hell as I can with me. So, let's think about that. Verse 39, what does it say? But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Does everybody see that? Do you know how many people we've had? <laughs> I've been in the ministry now uh, for going on 28 years. And uh, from, from day one, people have tried to overthrow it. I've seen people die off. I've seen people go through things in life that they didn't have to go through. And, uh, and here I am still standing because this is of God. And, and ain't, no, ain't no devil in hell can shake it. And, you know, and I'm not the type of preacher to tiptoe around the devil. Does everybody understand that? I'm not, I'm not trying to keep him, just be quiet and soft because maybe he won't know I'm here. He knows I'm here. I know he's there, and we into it. I understand he's my enemy, and he understands I'm his. So it ain't no, we're not being cordial with one another. Devil, I know you. I know your tactics. You know, I don't care how you try to smile in my face. I know you. Does everybody see that now? And so, you know, <laughs> I told you all about the dream I had uh, 
last year sometime, I think it was a couple of years ago, where the devil came and stood in front of me, and he was, he was in his natural state. I understood that very clearly. He was in his natural state. It, it, the, the way God sees him is the way I saw him. It wasn't him trying to look like an angel of light or him trying to come across as some pretty woman. Or, he was him. And he stood in my face. And he looked me dead in my eyes and I looked him right back in his. And it was understood at that time, he basically he was letting me know I can't hide from you so the gloves are off. And I was thinking, and my gloves are off as well, devil. <laughs> Does everybody understand that? So we ain't got to tiptoe around each other. We ain't got to dance around each other and hope we don't bump into each other in life. We bumping. Does everybody see that now? So there have been people over the years that try to overthrow us. And they find themselves frustrated. And that's the name of this message, frustrated. That's all, frustrated. Now, let's look at that definition of frustrated. It says to prevent a plan or attempted action from progressing, succeeding, or being fulfilled. Now, let's think about that scripture we just read. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest perhaps ye be found even to fight against God. And when people fight against God, God frustrates them. How does he do it? Look at what it says. To prevent a plan or attempted action. What plan? The plan is on the outside of that narrow road. And any other plan outside of God's plan, he's going to frustrate it. You may say, well, you know, uh, you know I, I, it wasn't God's will for me to get a degree, and I got a degree, so I had that frustrated. Are you happy with it? Or do you want to go get 10 more? One of the biggest frustrations is not being satisfied and not being content. Jesus Christ told us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? The devil will let you gain the whole world. The problem is you can't do nothing with your soul after this world. You can't control where you go. So you're still frustrated. Still unfulfilled. Does everybody see that now? So it means to prevent a plan or attempted action from progressing. Now you think about that. How many of you have lived that life? of frustration. No matter what you do, it doesn't work. And the devil's got a million plans for your life that you can, that you can go down with. Well, let, let me try this. Let me try that. And ain't none of it worked. And if you're not careful, by the time you come to God, you'll be upset with him and you'll be bitter against him because he would not let your junk work. I have seen people try to serve God with bitterness. Mad because they've come to the conclusion, well, nothing else is working. And I can tell you, that ain't working either. Does everybody understand that now? Hissy fits don't go to heaven. And the sad part is, God will let you go on serving him mad. Yeah, when all these souls to me, <laughs> with your mad self. 
Does everybody understand that? And you'd be just like Samson. You'll yield your body and your strength to God, but your heart is a million miles away from him. Your heart's still out in the world. That's what happened to him. Does everybody understand that now? Had all the strength in the world and all of it belong to God. All of it but my heart. That belongs to Delilah. Everybody see that now? There's only one way to really serve God. The Bible tells us in the hundred number of Psalms to serve the Lord with gladness. To serve him with gladness. Anything outside of that, anything outside of God's will, brothers and sisters, you will be frustrated. And even more so after you've come and heard the truth. People frustrated out in the world and don't know anything about God, don't, don't know why they frustrated. And yet and still, still, what did the Lord say? If them that know the will of God and don't do it will be beaten with many stripes. But them that don't know and don't do, they'll be whipped with few stripes, still getting whipped. You don't have to know God for God to frustrate you. But it's all designed to get you to think, to get you to question, what is life? Lord, what's the purpose of life? Does everybody understand now? You, you can go out in the wildest parts of the world, in jungles where people live, where there's no electricity, no running, no plumbing, no nothing. And you know what you're going to find? People worshiping something. Because they know in their hearts it's something here greater than me. And I'm supposed to worship it. Do you know there are going to be some people in heaven who knew nothing about Jesus Christ but had enough sense to know there is a God somewhere that I'm supposed to worship and I'm going to worship him with what I know. They didn't call him Jesus Christ. Nobody ever got to them to, un to make them understand salvation. They just understood it's something bigger than me and here than, and that I need to worship. I know I didn't create this dirt. And you got some people know it all. Know Jesus Christ, know what the name means, know, know the difference between the old covenant and new covenant, know how all of that has to do with each other and, and still serving God with madness. Not gladness. Mad. I feel like I'm being forced. And I tell you, that's somebody that haven't gotten over the frustration. Does everybody understand that now? And I'm telling you, the world is full of people, brothers and sisters, and the church is full of people that God has frustrated just naturally so. That's just what happens. You go against God, you get frustrated. That's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, it ain't hardly a person that ever come to God that didn't, God didn't frustrate and make them know it ain't going to work outside of me. But you got some people just as stubborn as they want to be. Well, I'm going to find a way. Your road ain't the only road. Yeah, there is another road. But you ain't going to like where it drop off into. <laughs> Does everybody see that now? So we're talking about frustration and what it looks like for God to frustrate people. The second definition is to cause to feel angry or discouraged. 
So when I see believers discouraged and angry, I know you're on the outside of that road and you haven't come to terms with that. And you need to get back in that road or come to that road to begin with. Now, I want to make it clear now what it takes to be frustrated in the things of God. All you have to do is reject something that God has said. Reject his perfect will for your life. Whether you know you, and you don't even have to know the will. Just don't ask him what the will is. Because God knows people, people love to use ignorance. And this same book here, Paul is telling a group of people, in times past, God winked at ignorance. But not anymore. In other words, he excused it. He paid attention. Okay, so you didn't know any better. So, But today, listen, brothers and sisters, <laughs> the book of Isaiah, uh, when, they, when, they, when it was written out, it was about as big as that bench there. The scroll. You ever notice how the Bible says when they brought him, when they brought him the book of Isaiah, they brought it to him. They. <laughs> Does everybody understand that? That was just for one book. And the, the story is, whenever those scribes were writing the book, copying the Bible, what we call the Bible, whenever they were copying a book, Isaiah, if they messed up one time, they prayed and they burned that scroll and they started all over because the, it was precious to them. They understood there are no mistakes in this word. And if we copy and we put an eye where a T is supposed to go, just accidentally. No, we're not going to draw a line through and put our signature by it or put our initials by it. No, that's not going to work. We're going to pray, ask for forgiveness, and we're going to burn it, and we're going to start all over. What about us today? I don't want to waste that. That's paper. That costs money. They'll figure it out. And I'm telling you, our mindsets towards the things of God are not precious enough. Does everybody see that now? So when we're talking about fighting against God, when we're talking about God frustrating people, we th have to think about why. Why does God frustrate people? Most of us in here, in, at one point of our life, one time of our, in our life, we tried to do something that didn't work. Then we tried to do something else and didn't work. Then we tried to do something else and it didn't work. And we have to think, how long did it take us to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, what am I doing wrong? Or do we pray at all? We just keep going until we just find the right way. Does everybody see that now? And so in all those times, what's happening is God is frustrating us. And I'm telling you, and, and the frustration doesn't stop until you come to your senses, until you understand what is going on. I told you the story Brother Junior told me years ago. He, he got hooked on clothes. 
and he would go and take $5,000 loans out to buy a new wardrobe. And by the time he got done paying the loan off, he couldn't fit the clothes anymore because he was gaining weight. He did that several times, thousands of dollars. He told me that sitting in his living room. I was sitting in his living room with something like I'm dressed in now. And it, his, his wife was asking me, what size suit do I wear? I said, I don't, I don't hardly care for suits. And he went on to tell me, Pastor John, I used to be like you. I used to be just like you. Didn't care about the clothes. He said, but one day I got overcharged with that. Bought a suit, bought another suit, started loving clothes, and I started taking out loans, $5,000, to buy a wardrobe. And then I have to take out another loan to buy another whole set, and then another loan to buy another whole set. And he said, what was going on? Every time I bought another set of, of clothes, I would gain weight, and I couldn't fit that anymore. And he said, finally, I caught on to what was going on. The Lord was frustrating me, trying to pull me out of my junk. He said, so I laid that down. I let it go. And you know what happened after that? He began to lose weight. Now, isn't that something now? And I'm telling you, you can take on all the little diet plans, the keto, weedo, and all the rest of them. But idolatry is not going to heaven. Does everybody understand that now? Why do you think there's not just one diet? Does everybody understand? They come out with a new diet every year. And everybody jump on that train. Let's try this. Let's try that. And why doesn't one of them work for everybody? i tell you why. Because some of those people, God is frustrating. And it doesn't matter how much sugar you lay down. God, you can clear your, you, you can shake your fist at God. Okay, God, I ain't eating no more sugar. I'm about to lose this weight. And God say, but I'll make you dream about it and you'll gain it. <laughs> 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 what you going to do about that? <laughs> Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> so you see now, brothers and sisters, we can't get around God. And we'd have to have a certain mindset to think that there's a way around God. He has set this whole universe up to frustrate anything that just in a, in a minute way opposes him. Does everybody see that now? And I'm telling you, I have learned, if you're going to be in something, you might as well learn to love it. So here's the sad part. A person doesn't have to even be aware that they're fighting against God. 
It's a whole world of people fighting against God and don't even know it. They really, you know, the Bible, even Jesus Christ said, you know, there are going to be some people that persecute you and kill you, and they're going to think they're doing God a favor. You know, we've, we've had people leave this ministry, calling themselves, <laughs> exposing this ministry. Thank you for the exposure. We get more subscribers that way. Oh, yeah, we do, too. We appreciate the lies. Because people are funny. They're going to come and hear it. <laughs> no, we're not mad at any advertisement. <laughs> Does everybody understand that now? Keep on talking about us. <laughs> you <laughs> Thank you for being a witness. If the devil was smart, he'd keep your mouth shut. Does everybody understand that? But God in his infinite wisdom, even he's using you. So that's the reason why we don't, we're not bothered by slander or anything. You getting the name out there. Does everybody understand that? You, you preaching the gospel and don't know it. <laughs> you know they preach this there? Oh, they do. Subscribe. <laughs> Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> so we want to look at something real quick, brothers and sisters. So let's go to the... We're going to look at a man. Let's go to the third chapter of the book of uh, hmm. Let's let's start this way. Let's go to the thirty-first chapter of the book of First Samuel. We're just going to walk through a few scriptures here. The 31st chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to look at a man that God frustrated. His name was Saul. We're going to walk you through some events in his life and the lives of his offspring. And we're going to show you what it looks like for God to frustrate you and you not line up. Does everybody understand what it means to frustrate? What we, what we mean when we say that now. And I, and I have to make this clear, God is not a respecter of persons. Josiah, one of the greatest kings ever lived, one of the greatest kings on the level of David. And God called for the, for the Pharaoh of Egypt to come against a certain people. And Josiah called himself being a hero of the people. And he went against, he went against this Pharaoh. And Pharaoh Necho tried to tell him, don't come against me. This is of God. God told me to do this. Okay, I won't, except I will. And he disguised himself and went into battle. And he was killed at the age of 35. 
One of the greatest revivals Israel ever seen was in the days of Josiah. The, whole, the book of Lamentations that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary. In other words, lived at the same time that Josiah lived. And that word Lamentations, it comes from the word to lament. In other words, to mourn over. That book was written because of Josiah's death. All of Israel mourned for his death. But why did he die? Because he took himself out of that narrow road and put himself in this wide road. And even though he was warned, he just could not believe it. I don't believe that God will use an unrighteous nation to chastise his own people. Oh, yeah, he will. He's got to use something. Does everybody see that now? And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it ain't nothing like being at the end of God's whip. It ain't nothing like it. And I'm telling you, <laughs> we are told to take our whipping patiently. You take it like you deserved it. Because if you don't, you're going to get frustrated and there's no real true repentance if God is whipping you and a person can know, yeah, I know God is whipping me, but does everybody understand that now? Let me tell you something. If you don't live a life of peace, you always got turmoil, always got junk going on on your job, I can tell you, God is frustrating you. You always in some mess. God's frustrating you. You done got outside his will. It's something that he told you to do that you ain't doing. This Bible tells us, I think it's in the book of Psalms, that God, will, God can cause you, even your enemies to be at peace with you. Does everybody see that now? So if you're always in some junk, always frustrated, always upset, always boiling on the inside and don't know, I can tell you, God is frustrating you. If ain't nothing going right, you're being frustrated. Does everybody see that now? And you know what's sad about it is believers, they know they're supposed to have some kind of life of peace, but, but instead of them turning, turning their attention on themselves and examining themselves to see what they're doing wrong, they'd rather blame it on the life. Well, this is persecution. No, that's not persecution. Persecution is for righteous people. That's in God's perfect will. You're not being persecuted. You're being whipped. There's a big difference. Does everybody understand that now? You better know it is. Does everybody understand? You think about persecution. Persecution comes to those that are righteous. All those that live godly shall suffer persecution. All those that live, you ain't done nothing. Does everybody understand that? You're not doing anything wrong and being persecuted. You're being lied on. You acting a fool at the job and they getting on you, that's not persecution. Does everybody understand that now? All right, so we need to get that down. Is everybody there? The 31st chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. All right, let's read verse 1 now. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, 
And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Geboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. Everybody see that? And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it, and when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side of Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa and they cut off his head. Everybody see that? Why did they do that? It was payback for Goliath. That's what David did for Goliath. He went and stood up on his chest and cut his head off with his own sword. So look at, let read that now. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of, of Ashtaroth. Everybody see that? Which is where we get our term from Easter. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshen. Isn't that something? Head in one place, body somewhere else, hanging on a wall. This doesn't sound like the man who was chosen to be the first king of Israel, does it? Does that seem right to y'all? That God would allow this to happen to the first man that he chose to be king of Israel. The first man. And here he was, three of his sons are dead, died on the same day, died before he died. Now let me make this clear, brothers and sisters, and I, I, I hope we hear this very clearly. When one child died before the parents, that's one thing. When you, when you see parents outliving their children, that's something else. Does everybody understand that now? Somebody's being frustrated. It's not meant for parents to outlive their children. And I'm telling you, it's some things in life, if we see certain patterns, we need to start taking note, why is this happening? In, in, my, in my family, especially on my mother's side of the family, a single motherhood is, is, is something to be praised. That's a strong woman. 
Nobody's thinking about the curses following families. Nobody's thinking about bad decisions. And I, I know that things happen. Sometimes marriages, relationships just don't work out. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you see it in every offspring, then you have to know you've gotten down the road somewhere outside of God's straight and narrow. Does everybody understand that now? And in, in some families, they wear it as a badge of honor. It's me and my children. It's just us. Not concerned with having men are disposable. Does everybody understand that now? And nobody is examining the patterns. Nobody is examining the curse. It's a curse. And in my family, they support each other. That sisterhood, that bond is strong. And they keep each other from leaving and cleaving the way that they're supposed to. They, they can do without a man in their mind. Because if I ever get behind on bills, I got a sister and I got a cousin that's going to help me. Because we can all identify with each other. And people in hell do as well. Does everybody understand that now? God has called for families. This is not good times where you can write the daddy out of the script. He died in a car wreck somewhere. Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we have to recognize patterns. We have to know something is off. And I'm telling you, the, the way we don't continue, you know you can grow up and you can hate a certain thing, but you can walk that same path if you don't recognize what brought about that certain thing. If you don't recognize that it's a curse, you will walk right into it. You'll be living the same life that you hated seeing growing up. Same life. Does everybody understand that now? And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we have to wake up. We have to start paying attention to some stuff. Quit thinking that life is, well, this is just the cards that were dealt to me. Yeah, but who's dealing it? Does everybody understand that now? You have to understand, it. God ain't dealing the cards. Your decisions are.
So God don't deal this person a bad hand and deal this person a good hand. The Bible says time and chance happen to them all. So if one person have a good life, everybody can have a good life. So you ain't got to just excuse your behavior by blaming God, the card dealer. No, he's not dealing the cards, brothers and sisters. Time and chance happen to them all. He throws them up in the air. Life and death. Everybody understand that? I set before you life and death. Those cards are just sitting on the table. You're choosing them. Does everybody see that now? So you ain't got to think, well, it's just bad luck. No, or cursed. The Bible don't say nothing about bad luck. It talks about blessings and cursings, though. Everybody understand that now? So we don't have to think when we see when we see this picture of Saul's body hanging on the wall in the city that it was just bad luck. It just happened that way. No, it didn't just happen that way. There were some choices. There were some decisions made. He made some choices to cause that to happen. Do they understand that now? And I'm telling you. Bad decisions don't give birth to good ones. No, they don't either. No, they don't. You ain't got to think that. Well, I'm going to just keep choosing bad, and at some point, good's going to come. No, it's not. Does everybody understand that now? So now, can y'all see that? You know, the Bible says that Saul, in all of Israel, he's the tallest man. Now, you think about millions of people in Israel at this time. Millions and millions and millions of people in Israel. And the Bible says he was the tallest man in Israel from his shoulders up. So what's that? A good 10 to 12 inches taller than the next tallest man in Israel. And what did God do for him? Let's make, you, let's make you average. Let's cut your head off. Let's hang you on the wall. When we hang stuff on the wall, what is it for? Memories. Let's show what it looks like to fight against me. Does everybody understand that now? So it looked like the enemies of Israel was doing it. It was really God allowing it. Let me put this in here, in this Bible, to show what it looks like. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I don't want to leave this world being a proverb. Don't go down that road. You see what happened to him? And Saul became a proverb. Now the devil done snuck one in on the world. Proverbs are a badge of honor now. Does everybody understand it now? And I have to say this. Single motherhood doesn't make you strong. I'm talking to folks in my family as well. It doesn't make you strong is being able to stick in there in a relationship. Strong. Does everybody understand that now? I believe 
women ought to desire a husband. I say, I believe women ought to desire a husband. And God don't mean waiting until all your children grow up before you get one. Women ought to desire a husband. Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> you know, it's a sad thing when God can whoop people and the devil can twist people's minds in certain a way to not even realize they're being whipped. You get used to it. When I was growing up, the whippings we got might cut our skin. <laughs> now people cutting their own skin. Does everybody see that now? You think the devil's going to outdo God? No, not at all. Not at all. Does everybody understand that? Uh, you used to getting whipped you, and you start cutting yourself and I just mean spiritually so or you start abusing yourself God will turn it up everybody see that now so we see here Saul body hanging on the wall head is no, no ain't no telling where his head is at this point if you keep reading you'll see some people come by they see his body hanging there and they take him and bury him Everybody see that? Now, you would think that's the end of Saul, except it's not. He's dead, yeah. But here's the thing about when we disobey God. It ain't just us that's got to pay for it. If your ancestors who lived 150 years ago could wake up and they could see what was going on, they would be able to say, I introduced this foolishness into my family. And I'm telling you that are sitting here today, you're the ancestors. What you are living today will be carried on into your offspring for generations. Now you have to ask yourself, is that pleasing? You have people who are bitter and angry and upset. And in their minds, I'm justified. But here's the thing, your children, your offspring, those that are still in your bosom have no idea about what you went through, but yet they will pay for it. Because of you. Does everybody see that now? Even to the third and fourth generation. There are folks today dealing with alcoholism wouldn't have never had a taste for it if grandma hadn't drunk it. That spirit get introduced into families. Does everybody understand that now? And I tell you this, you know, folks can think in their minds, well, I just hate my life and I just don't deserve nothing good. But what about your children? I think they deserve a fair shot. Does everybody understand now? Don't you curse your children because you bitter. Does everybody understand?
Let's go, let's go a few chapters over to the third chapter of 2 Samuel. Now, I have to say this, Saul is dead. Then we just read that. He's good and dead. You know what Saul did before? <laughs> before he died? Before he died, he tried to trap David. Saul's daughter loved David, and it was told Saul, your daughter really loved David. And, and Saul thought, that's a good thing. I'm glad. And tell David, I, I'll give him my daughter, Michael. If he gets so many, basically kills so many Philistines and for their foreskin. And whatever number it was he asked for, David brought him more, brought him a hundred, the foreskins of the men of the army of the Philistines. He thought he was going to use the Philistines' hands to kill David. I'll just send you into their hands. You ain't, you don't kill one giant, but what about a hundred of them? And David brought him more than what he asked for. And he reluctantly gave his daughter to David, even though he didn't like David. And so then when he started trying to kill David and David fled from his presence, he took his daughter the wife of David, and gave her to another man. You see now how good bad decisions don't produce good decisions at all? If you don't back up off the road that you've, the wrong road that you've turned down, you're just going to keep going down the wrong road. Does everybody understand that now? So is everybody there, the third chapter of 2 Samuel? Let's read, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Everybody see that? Now you, you notice that Saul is still, is deceased, right? Now which one of these people is God with? David. So who's fighting against God's will then? The offspring of Saul. They keeping it going. Does everybody see? Listen, brothers and sisters, let's think spiritually now. Your children will only know the doctrine and believe the doctrine that you believe concerning what you live. They will only believe and take on what you live. Saul, in the last 15, 16 years of his life, lived the doctrine of hating God's will of hating King David. And when he died, it didn't stop there. His offspring carried on his legacy. Everybody see that now? And so the Bible tells us there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinam, the Jezreelitess, and the second Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of Micah, the daughter of Tamar, king of Geshur, and the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth 
Shaphatiah, the son of Abitel, and the sixth Athriam by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. And it came to pass while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, and the, the daughter of Ai. And Abishath said unto, said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto, in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Abishath, and said, Am I a dog's head, which against Judah do show kindness to this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn, sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul, and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Bathsheba. Everybody see that now? So everybody understand what we've read so far? Abner was a general for Saul, and Ebersheth, the son of Saul, I guess he believes that Abner is sleeping with one of the concubines of David uh, of Saul, even though David, even though Saul is deceased, and he gets indignant about it. Who am I? What are you coming to me with this foolishness about, and why? He said because you've done that. He said I fought strong for your daddy, but because you've brought this foolishness to me, I'm going to add my strength to David, and I'm going to establish him as the king of Israel. Everybody see that now. Verse 11, and he could not answer Abner a word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Who, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michael, which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her who? Took her from who? Even from Feltil, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her alone, weeping behind her to Baharim. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return, and he returned. Isn't that some stuff there? Now wait a minute. Didn't we just read about all of David's wives and all the children he had about those wives? Uh, that fellow, he was agreed to somebody, huh? Yeah, and bring me my first wife. Everybody see that? What is she doing? She is paying for what her daddy started. The Bible says that she loved David. But then David fled. And then her daddy took her from David and gave her to another man. And by this, you're talking about almost 20 years later. She's an already established a life with this man. 
And here, almost 20 years down the road, David haven't forgotten. I espouse them 104 scans. Yeah, that meant something. Uh, bring me my wife. Now, if you could picture that. Now, you know what made him get himself in the mix? Her, her, the, the second husband that she had? If he was an honorable man, he would not have married the wife of David. He'd have thought, there's no way in the world I'm going to marry this man. No way. But way. And he had to pay for it later. Here he was walking behind one of the greatest generals Israel had ever seen. Weeping for his wife as she's walking alongside him. And what did Abner say? Uh, turn around and go home. Don't follow us with this foolishness. Everybody see that? So you see, lives. See, this, to us, it's just a story, just a couple of verses. But we're talking about somebody's life affected by one man who fought against God's will. Now you let it be you. You could write a whole book over the mile and a half that you walked behind somebody that was taken from you. And here we see it in a couple of verses. And we just read right over it. And we don't attach it to what it's supposed to be attached to. The daddy took on bitterness. And that bitterness produced foolishness. I'm not just going to take my daughter back in my house and continue to raise her and provide for her. I'm going to give her to another man. Now what you going to do about that, David? Nothing. But after your, your, you're dead and your head is cut off your body and hung on a wall, I'll go get her. Isn't that something now? We never stop and think about the web that we create. How all of these things, every decision that we make, it multiplies into the lives of our offspring. So God don't just frustrate us. And in our minds, we could think I have a right to be upset and angry that nothing is going right. So I have a right to make bad decisions. What about the children? Do you think Michael deserved that? Be, to be torn from a man that she loved and forced to try to learn to love another man who did, she didn't first choose? Only to be torn back away from that particular man and sent to another man who she had grown to hate now? If you keep reading, you'll see exactly what King David did for her. He called her back into his house only to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and the, and the dance and so hard that his clothes fell off and to have that one who's now being spiteful towards him to speak, oh, the great king of Israel, how lovely you were to dance until your clothes fell off. David said, woman, you can go and live in another house I've created down the street and I'll never go in unto you anymore. You'll never have children for me. I won't sleep with you anymore. I got these other wives. Didn't send her back to the other husband. 
I'm sending you to another house that I got down the road. And there you're going to die. A woman with no children for me, no affection from me, you'll just die. Who was the cause of that? Saul. Dead and gone. Still the cause of it. Everybody see that now. You think that's where the story ends? No, indeed not. Let's go to the 21st chapter of 2 Samuel now. So now, by this time, Michael is living in this house by herself without any affection from King David, probably longing for the husband that she was stripped away from and can't do a thing about it. But this is not the end of her story. Is everybody there, the 21st chapter of 2 Samuel? Let's start reading in verse 1. Then there was a famine in the days of David. In the days of who now? In the days of who? Is this after Saul have died? Oh, yeah, it is. There was a famine in the, in the days of who? For how long? Did they skip? No, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. Everybody see that? Now, that's what made Luxon. What is one of the David's nicknames? A man after. A man after God's own heart. A lot of times when we read that and what God calls him and says he was a man after my own heart, it, that does not mean like what we think it means. It does not mean he was just precious to me. He was near and dear to my heart. That's not what it means. When it says David was a man after God's own heart, it means that he was a man that sought the heart of God. He asked questions. He understood. Last year we were eating good. This year we not. What's going on, God? He understood patterns. He understood when something ain't going right, it ain't because God ain't good, it's because I ain't right. Something is wrong here. Everybody see that now? So three years, they're in a famine, and he inquired of the Lord. Look what it says. And the Lord answered, it is for who? Verse, in verse 1, what does it say now? It is for who? Wait a minute. Saul died 21 chapters ago. Who is this famine for? <laughs> Everybody see that now? It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites and the children of Israel had sworn unto them and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. In other words, they have a, had a covenant with these people. We're, not, we're friends with y'all. But Saul got greedy and he began to kill these people thinking that it would give him favor with, listen, and brothers and sisters, that's what people do. 
when they get outside of God's will, they try their best to make up for it. They do all kind of good works. Does everybody understand that now? What it says, verse 3, Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? Or wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Isn't that something? These people were not righteous people. And yet God sent a famine in the land because they mistreated these people, people who were not righteous. And, and, the, and he sent a famine among his own people. Now you think about that. Us believers with our high minds and snooty selves, we think the only people we got to treat right are people that believe the way we believe. Anything that's made in the image of God, you better treat it right. <laughs> Does everybody understand that? You could think, well, y'all not righteous anyway. Y'all not going to heaven, so what's the point? Get used to it. Get used to me mistreating you. But you see what God did. Listen, because God understands very clearly. If you can mistreat somebody that don't belong to me, you can mistreat people that belong to me. That's not supposed to be your nature in the, in, to begin with. That's love with hypocrisy. That's what the Bible means when it says, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, without hypocrisy. You love people because they people. Not because of what they're doing for you, not because of how close they are to God and how they help pulled you up. You love people because they people. Everybody see now. Look what it says. What shall we do to make this atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Isn't that something now? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shall thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say that I will do for you? Now listen how they answered. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us. Who was that man? The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel. Let seven men of who? Of his sons be delivered unto us and we will do what? Hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. Give us seven of his offspring, and we're going to kill them by hanging them. Isn't that something now? But listen now. What, what, who were these people? Verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bare unto Saul, so two of his sons, right? Where did the other five come from? And the five sons of who? Two sons, five grandsons, five of them. Who are these sons? David said, you're not going to have children for me. So who are these sons? The other man. <laughs> what did they do? Nothing but be born to the wrong person. 
That's all. That's all. Wouldn't have even been in this world had their daddy, their grandfather, not been operating out of spite. I'm going to take you from David and give you to another man for you to have five sons with so that they can be killed later. Everybody see that now? These five boys wouldn't have existed except for spite. They came into this world out of spite. Does everybody see that? And let's think about this. They were also the stepsons of King David. But you see who David spared? Not his stepsons. His adopted nephew. Isn't that something? But these step, these, these step boys, y'all can go ahead and take them. Isn't that something now? And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Berzalai, and Mahalathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it upon, for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped from them upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the fields by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, and when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gibeah. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish his father, and they performed all that the king commanded, and after that God was entreated for the land. Where was Michael? Where was Michael at? Still shut up in the house that David sent her to. Couldn't properly mourn for her sons. Why was she there? Because of decisions that her daddy made. Does everybody see that now? You know how many people are born out of bitterness? Born out of bitterness. Mom and daddy arguing against each other don't stop them from being intimate with each other. Born out of bitterness and then wonder why the children full of strife. The Bible tells us what, why God had brought man and woman together to raise a righteous seed. How is righteousness going to come from unrighteous hearts? Does everybody see that now? So this is pretty much the last we read of Michael. Heartbroken, being taken from first, her first husband. 
then being taken from the first husband, given to another man, and then falling in love with that man, having at least five sons for him. 15, 20 years later, being snatched out of that life to go back to a man who's now got four other wives. Bitter in heart, listening at one too many conversations her daddy had against him. Took on that bitterness, could not rejoice when he rejoiced. Got sent to live off by herself. Still got my sons, though. At least it's me and my baby. Still got them. But then a famine come. Her now husband asked, Lord, what, what, what is this famine for? Uh, for Saul and his household. So one day she's thinking, well, you know what, boy? I says, you know, it's just us. You know, your stepdaddy down the road don't care about us, so it's just us. But one day she get a knock at the door. Yeah, them five boys there, y'all come on. Come on, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, y'all, y'all, come on. We got to entreat this land for this famine. Your granddaddy wasn't worth a dime. And now y'all got to pay for it. Isn't that something now? I'm trying to spell this out for you. These aren't just stories. People live this. And they still live it. Still live it. Bad decisions. One bad decision after the other. And you can be dead and gone. And you could think your decisions go to the grave with you, except they don't. No, they don't either. Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> I tell you, this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Let's go real briefly to the 18th, to the 17th chapter of the book of First Samuel. Let's back up. We're going to get back into Saul's life. Some of the stuff he did. The 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to start reading at verse 55. Is everybody there? All right, it says, And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Now this was after he had slew Goliath. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Isn't that something now? And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with, his, with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and, he, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul went, sent him 
and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of, the, of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his what? Now was that wise? No, not at all. If the husbands had been around, they'd have told them, shh, y'all be quiet with that. Y'all don't want to start nothing. Does anybody see that? And they're doing that innocently. They don't, they don't know any better. Saul have killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And they're going out to meet Saul. <laughs> everybody see now? Let's go ahead and keep reading now. Now that shows you the innocence of women. They're not thinking anybody is going to be upset about it, except somebody was. Let's go and keep reading. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Isn't that something now? Now, uh, we could preach a whole message on that. That's dangerous when you eyeing somebody. I'm going to watch what you say because I don't know if that's the truth or not. I can tell you ain't nothing good going to come out of that. Either you are no real man of God or you're not. Does everybody understand that? The Bible don't tell us nothing about sticking the whole, whole ham hock in our mouth and just spitting out the bones. Chew the meat and spit out the bones. If we got to go through all of that, something ain't right. Does everybody understand that? Some of you notice when we're in fellowship, what does my wife do for me? She cut the meat off the bones. I don't feel like dealing with all of that. It's not my fault that whatever animal it is had bones. Does everybody understand that? I, I just don't like chewing anything off the bones. It just feels too cavemanish to me. Like I might as well be out on a by the fire turning you know a big dinosaur <laughs> I'm gonna just pretend this isn't this thing right here whatever I'm eating it never lived <laughs> does everybody understand now so you see there verse 9 says and Saul eyed David from that day and forward everybody see that does everybody see that now And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit, from who? From who now? And people think every evil spirit is from the devil. Wrong. If God is frustrating you, if God is frustrating you, that evil spirit is from him. Everybody see that now? And it came to pass on the next day, in other words, that the evil spirit from God came upon who? Everybody see that? And he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand 
as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast a javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David. Everybody see that? So what was this evil spirit that was sent to Saul? It was a spirit of torment. He was tormented. Does everybody understand that now? Now let's, let, I'm going to just stop here just for a minute now. When people are tormented, one way you know you're tormented is everybody is suspect. One way, look at what the Bible says about Saul. What did he do? He eyed David. I'm going to watch you because I don't think I can trust you. And not knowing that he opened up the door to be tormented. Listen, brothers and sisters, when you got to watch everybody but you, yourself, you're tormented. That ain't God giving you that. That's not God telling you. You just watch everybody. You trust no man. That's your hurt that you refuse to forgive. Does everybody understand that now? How are you going to love people and not trust them at the same time? How are you going to love people and you got to eye them every time you're around me? I know you're going to try something. You ain't got no time for love if you're too busy watching people. You're not watching to see how you can be a blessing. You're looking at all the exit doors. Okay, I see you coming through that door. I'm going out that door. I ain't got to be around you. Everybody see that now? People doing everything but loving people. <laughs> so you see what it caused them to do? The Bible says that David behaved himself wisely in the presence of Saul. So David wasn't doing anything wrong. So what brought that about? His own speculation. His own heart. What was in his heart. What was in his heart. Does everybody see that? I'm going to watch you because I don't trust you. And right away, a spirit, an evil spirit came from God. An evil spirit came from God. In the world, you gonna withstand? How you gonna cast out an evil spirit that God sent? When the spirit can answer, say, "God got me here." That lets you know every evil spirit can't be cast out outside of your obedience. They all ain't got to go. Not if God sent them. Does everybody understand that now? <laughs> I pray we get it. <laughs> Let's go ahead and keep reading now. Verse 12, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Everybody see that? Therefore, verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. 
That, now, you know why he removed him from him and made him captain? He was hoping David would do something to fall out of favor with the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Verse 15, wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Everybody see that now. So this was at the very beginning of these bad decisions. But y'all want to know where it started at? Let's go look at one more scripture, brothers and sisters. Let's back up to chapter 15 of the same book. And we're going to start reading at verse 26. This was after Saul's disobedience. We're completely annihilating the Amalekites like God had told him to do. And I want to show you, and I, I so the, isn't that horrible, everything we've read so far? What all the offspring had to go through, the heartbreaks, the heartaches, the deaths in the family, you know, all, isn't all that horrible? But do you know all of that could have been avoided? And we're going to show you how it could have been avoided. Let's, uh, what did I say, verse 26? It says, verse 26 says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected, what? You have done what now? The word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Isn't that something? Notice he didn't say, and the Lord's going to kill you. All he says, the Lord rejected you from being king over Israel. Let's go and keep reading. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. In other words, Samuel was done talking. I'm done talking with you. I done told you what the Lord told me to tell you. And he was going on about his business. Saul grabbed the skirt of his mantle as Samuel was walking away and held on to it so tight that it rent. It was torn in half. Now, let's keep reading this now. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee. When? 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 This day. And brothers and sisters, that's the cornerstone of this whole message. This day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Everybody see that? Now look what he says, verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. In other words, he ain't going to change his mind about it, Saul. This is a done deal. This day. Now what do we start off saying? The dangers of fighting against God. And what it looks like. Every, all these stories that we read, all this that we covered, all of that was the frustrations of God on the household of Saul. All of it. But all of it could have been avoided with one simple act. What act was it? When he heard, this day is the kingdom ripped from you and given to somebody that's better than you. He should have took that crown off of his head. 
Here you go, sir. You put it there. Whoever this belonged to, give it to him. And ask him if I could be of service. It would have changed the course of history for his family. But he rejected it, and he held on to that crown for at least another 15 years. And it wasn't long after that that he received his evil spirit from God. And it wasn't long after that that he took his daughter from David and gave her to another man. And it wasn't long after that that he was killed. And it wasn't long after that that David went and sent for that first wife of his. And it wasn't long after that that she was sent away from David to live her life in obscurity. And it wasn't long after that until there was a knock on the door requesting her five sons to be hung. But it all started with one act of fighting against God. I will not follow God's will. I will not give up this crown. Never. God said, okay. I got all of eternity to play this game. How long do you have? I know in another 15 years you're going to be hanging on somebody's wall without your head. You don't know it. But fool, since you rejected my word. Does everybody see that now? No, listen. God's will ain't got to be pleasant to you. No, it ain't got to be pleasant. But you can't fight against it. That's why we read what we read in the book of Acts. Who's going to withstand that? How can you fight against God and win? Does everybody understand that now? God don't have an appellate court. There is nothing above him that you can appeal to. Well, God ain't being fair, but what do you say, God, God? Not a thing, because I'm all of them. Does everybody see that now? One act, one decision. This one decision, one decision. You say, how does that look in modern day? There was a president in the 1970s. His name was Richard Nixon. He gave up his, he resigned his office of the presidency because of the Watergate scandal. That's where his career could have ended. The American people was ready to vote him out. He was being impeached and he just resigned. Okay, okay, I, I'd admit it, I resigned. He went somewhere for a little while and licked his wounds. And then he came back out and he began to make himself of service to the other presidents. And he died a dignitary. He was praised as if he was never impeached. You know why? Because he acknowledged his wrong, he took responsibility for that wrong, and he still made himself of service to this country. He became a diplomat to other countries to represent this nation. He understood the presidency have passed from me. But you know what? I can still be of service to this nation. That's what Saul should have done. If God said this young man is better than me, then I want to know how I can be of service. How can I help you, David? Does everybody see that now? Now let's think about our own lives. How, what is it in God's word we've rejected? 
Saul rejected the word of the Lord. And the whole time he's trying to fuss and fight with Samuel saying he didn't. And Samuel told him, this day, this day the kingdom is rent from you and given to another man better than you. And what is his next move? No, you come worship with me. Worship with me in front of the people and honor me. Make it look like I'm still king. Okay, I'll go. But that ain't going to fix the way what God have already said about it. Obedience gives up that crown that we put on our own heads. It gives up that high mind and our own reputation of who we think we are. It gives it up. God's word defines the new us. And when we disobey God, when we reject just the slightest, you wouldn't think that was a big deal. Well, yeah, I understand. You know, you're not ready to give it up. Yeah, I'll give you a few months to kind of get acclimated to civilian life again. No, God said this day. Does everybody see that now? And listen, brothers and sisters, if God is preaching a message today, then this day, this day you're supposed to change. Not God working on you for weeks and months and years. This day. Anything outside of this day is rebellion. And it ain't nothing but bad fruit that's going to come from it. Everybody see that now? And then we wonder, I want you to think about something. When your teacher, when you were in grade school and your teacher taught you a lesson, they intended for you to get it that day. You know why? Because tomorrow is going to be a new lesson. And then the day after that, it was going to be another lesson. They didn't tell me, you know, when you got to the 10th grade and your teacher asked you, so what's 10 plus 10? I don't know yet. The Lord is still working with me on that. Well, well, let's send you back to the first grade. He can work on you there. You don't belong here. Everybody see now? Brothers and sisters, (laughs) we better learn to cope with this day. Let's do what God is telling us to do this day. This day. Does everybody understand that? Now, this is a stern warning, brothers and sisters. You're not going to overthrow the word of God because you got a problem with it. It'll be in your life that you'll see that frustration years down the road, and your children will live out the frustration that was meant for you. All because you didn't take heed. I'm seeing it even today playing playing out in the lives of people. Frustrated. God, through God's frustration. And what you going to do about it? How are you going to pray to God when he's the one that sent it to you? And, and he only has one answer for it. Get back in my will. Well, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't believe it's God. Okay, well, quit praying to me to relieve you of the frustration that I sent. I'm giving you what the answer is. Does everybody understand that now? And I'm telling you, I see it play out in people's lives, and they never settled, never satisfied, frustrated. And listen, brothers and sisters, and God will frustrate you to death. He'll frustrate you to death. And then watch it play out on your offspring, even to the third and fourth generation. Does everybody see that now? I'm going to go a little bit more about it in, in detail in the bag. I want to say this standing here but I'm telling you I see people being frustrated 
you may look around and you may wonder, why is it some Christians are so joyful and happy and then I'm sitting here frustrated and can't get it together and can't, and I can tell you why. Because this day, and you refuse it. This day. Does everybody see that now? Saul should have took heed to that. His life proved that he didn't believe God because if he did, he'd have took that crown off his head that day. And that would have settled that. He'd have been a good grandfather to his children. He'd have lived to see the great, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Him and David could have continued to be friends and to be close. David would have been like a son to him. But what was the problem? Samuel approached him with, when you were little in your own eyes, you obeyed God. So what was the opposite of that? Then you got big-headed. And, and by the way, your head is too big for this crown. So we're going to give it to somebody that's got a small head. Does everybody understand now? <laughs> no, I ain't giving it up. I'm not giving it up. I don't believe that. I believe God's, uh, you know, we all believe in God's grace and mercy when it comes to our foolishness. Just call it what it is, disobedience. It's disobedience. Does everybody understand that? Now you're talking about something that happened over 20 years ago when Saul came against the Gibeonites. And God sent a famine 20 years later because of that. You know, there are people that have done things two, three decades ago and still paying for it. Why? Because they refuse to reconcile it. Everybody see that now? When you see God, don't forget, brothers and sisters. We have to make things right. First thing we can do is believe God's word and follow that word. If you get outside of God's word, then God is obligated, just by default, you're going to be frustrated. By default, you're going to be disappointed in life. And you'll think, I'm doing everything I can to live for you, God. And this is the thanks I get? This is my payment? Does everybody see that now? Well, that's not God's will, brothers and sisters. If you're frustrated, it's because of your disobedience. If it ain't going right, it's you. Does everybody understand now? God's word is clear and it's plain. God set before us life and death, and he tells us what to choose. Does everybody understand that now? And you ain't got to be half dead to know you done chose death. When David took on that evil spirit and he could tell, man, I'm just aggravated on the inside. I'm just aggravated. I'm going to kill somebody. He should have known, okay, something is, okay, here, here David, I... I made a wrong turn. Here's your crown. But instead of him giving David the crown, what did he throw at him? The javelin. Isn't that something now? See, he lived a life not ever checking himself. Not ever checking himself. It could have been a famine in the land like it was in David's days. He never would have prayed about that. This is just it, folks. Just the strong, only the strong survive, I guess. But David had a mind, you know what? The pattern ain't matching up to what it's been in the past. We're blessed people. I say we're blessed people. And if all of a sudden stuff getting cutting short, something is off. We need to pray. Let's ask the Lord, what is going on here? Saul ain't going to do it. 
Saul is going to work two and three jobs to make sure he's paid for. Saul is going to do everything except inquire of God about what's wrong. Because in his heart of hearts, he knows what's wrong. I rejected God's word. But I ain't going to, you know, I'm going to just make the best out of it. What was his best? Hanging on the wall with no head. Grandchildren being hung. Sons, surviving sons being hung. Isn't that something now? That's not God's will, brothers and sisters. Let's make sure we examine ourselves according to God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today. Thank you for the message that you've preached to us. And Lord, we ask that you help us. Show us ourselves in this message. Help us, Lord, not to continue to go down the wrong path if we're going down the wrong path. Help us, Lord, to take heed to the warning that we've heard today. Help us, Lord, to turn from whatever wicked ways we may have so that we can do what's pleasing to you, Lord. Forgive us for being nonchalant about our own souls. Help us to take these things serious, O oh God. Lord, we pray that you will help us to identify what ways we've been disobedient, what covenants we've broken, Lord, what words we have not honored, so that we can go back and make those things right. Lord, help us never to get used to the dysfunction, to the frustrations that may be sent to us, O oh Lord. Help us, Lord, to experience the newness of life and not to ever desire anything different than that. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the ignoring the signs that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to get back in your perfect will so that we can spend an eternity with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters. If that's all, we're going to be dismissed. We'll go to the back just briefly and discuss the things that we've heard today. We're all dismissed now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.